You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us again on Sunday for our digital house church. Um, if you didn't know, we are currently in this week, uh, this four-week series on Sunday celebrating Advent. And we are taking this time, we're setting aside these four Sundays leading up to Christmas to recall and remember the birth of our Savior and all the glorious implications that has on the world and also to look forward and anticipate and be hopeful of his return when he'll restore all things once again. And last week, we started with hope. We, we looked at that in the midst of a broken world that God has brought us hope through sending his son to save us. And that gives us hope that in the future, that what we always see around us will be made right again. We have the hope that Jesus will return to set all things right as he created them to be. And we have hope that this right now that we see around us and all its brokenness and its pain and its hurt is not the end of the story. That God has a plan and a purpose to come back and fix it all. And so we're taking this Advent season to camp out and be reminded upon these glorious truths. And traditionally, at the start of Advent, you light a candle. And last week, that was the candle of hope. And each Sunday leading up to Christmas, we'll look at a different aspect and we'll light another candle each Sunday, a total of four. And so today, we are lighting the candle of peace. Um, if my lighter works here. We're lighting the candle of peace and we'll be looking at how God has, God is, and will bring peace to the whole earth. Let me pray for us. God, as we sit in this time and space of Advent, when we're, Advent, when we're reminded of your hope and your peace and next week your joy and your love leading up to when we celebrate your birth. We ask that we would be welled up with thanksgiving and gratitude, that our eyes would be fixed upon our hope, our God, our Savior, our Lord, that amidst all of the distractions and all the busyness and all the changes and all the hard stuff going on, we ask that we'd be reminded of your glorious birth and of your glorious return. We ask that you'd be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, which I think you probably are, if we're honest, right, out of the four weeks of Advent, when we think of the idea of peace, peace may be possibly the one that we are most skeptical that can happen in the world today, right? Just looking around, it feels 
hard to hope for peace, right? In our, in our current world, when we talk of hope or joy or love, those may seem more attainable. But let's be honest. Peace is just something it feels like we haven't experienced much recently. Like peace is just not something we feel like we've experienced much this year at all. Right? Whether it be heartache or disease or death or strife or divisions or polarizing opinions or personal relationships that are falling apart, this year has been filled with anything but peace. And even this week, I've done this many times throughout this whole season, but I really felt like the burden, and I felt so weighed down by life's woes and its unrest. And personally, I just felt how broken and messy and painful this world is right now on, on every level, like personally, relationally, on a large scale, like you name it, you know what I'm talking about. 2020 not only is, is normal life and, and what happens, it's a normal sense of unrest, but there's been more abnormal amount of unrest heaped on top of it and peace isn't even close to a word I would describe for this year. It's way down the list. It's way down the list. It seems so far-fetched to obtain. And even when you're thinking about the concept of peace, even the question of what is peace depends on really who you are now. Because we may be you know, so different and almost have a, a different reality of of, of what peace looks like, right? Like half of the world wants one thing and half of the world wants another. That's what it, at least what it feels like. Case in point would be the U.S. election. Half of people wanted one person and half the other, both very different. And both sides really passionate that their person and what they stand for will bring peace on earth. To say it's all a mess is downplaying it. It's so messy, so polarizing, so divisive, so at, uh, at uneased. And looking forward, it's hard to see how all of this can be at peace anytime soon. But even though that's hard to fathom or grasp, that doesn't change any of our desire for it, for peace. I, I believe that as much as we can all disagree that humanity so badly is craving harmony right now. It's aching for unity. It's crying out for peace. What we need to understand is that this isn't surprising, kind of the landscape of unrest and lack of peace, when we look at it in light of history, even going as far back to the garden, to the beginning of it all, you see the problem of peace in the world started in the garden with the Genesis account, right? In the Genesis account, it, it tells of a time before the current time when peace was the rule and not the exception. 
And the story traces the roots of unrest back to what happened in the garden. Anything we see now can be traced, the story of human history can be traced back to the garden with Adam and Eve. Because then, back then, before sin had entered the world, there was no disease, no bad harvest, there was no pest, there was no arguments, there was no hiding, there was no death in the beginning. God, humankind, and nature were completely integrated and at home with one another. Harmony. Nothing was out of place. Then things, right, went terribly wrong, and many of us know the story. But long story short, what happened is that God told Adam and Eve that there was one tree from which they could not eat or they would die, right? And the enemy, in the form of a serpent, slithered by and lied to them, saying that the tree would not kill them, but would make them wise like God. And Eve, right, wanted to be wise, and she probably had, uh, um, had a startling new thought that God was holding out on her or something like that. And she saw that the tree was good and the fruit was good, and she wanted it. So she disregarded God's commands and took the fruit. She ate it, right, um, gave it to Adam. He ate it too. And the peace that permeated every part of their world was destroyed in an instant. In a moment. And the effects that, that, that happened, what, what sin did was it caused unrest. It removed peace. And, and first, it was that they noticed, right, that they were naked and vulnerable for the first time in their existence. Um, shame had arrived. And so they sewed, you know, fig leaves and, and covering and hid from God um, when they heard him walking by. And right, the earth went from being fertile to futile, uh, producing thistles and requiring endless toil uh, to work the land. Conflict began beca between uh, women and men, and their destiny was turned to dust. And all humans have now followed and inherited these state of affairs in the same way. Sin and the effects of sin and the, the, the disruption of peace that comes carries on to us. But the truth is all our deepest longings are to get back to what they and we lost in Eden. And, so, and, and as time went on, right, centuries before Jesus' birth... Right, chaos was ensuing the land, sin, there was wars and rumors of wars and strife and division. And it was a mess. And centuries before Jesus' birth, the prophets, right, inspired by the Holy Spirit, began to whisper of God's plan to bring us back, to fix what was broken. There was these stirring, there was these utterances, there was these prophecies being foretold that God had something in store for humanity to fix what was broken in the garden that we are all now dealing with. And Isaiah was one of those prophets, right? Isaiah was a Jewish prophet who, who 800 or some years before Jesus' birth 
during a time when the people of Israel were at war with the Assyrians, they were experiencing some of the same anxieties we experience today. There was a heavy burden of worry, unjust oppression, wars, and conflict. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, Isaiah announces that these old patterns will end and war and conflict will be done away with. We see this type of writing in Isaiah chapter 9. And and Isaiah goes forward with this poetic language. Isaiah uses to describe this future peace God is bringing to earth. And so Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, he uses this um, poetic language. He says, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a child will lead them. It's kind of cryptic here, but what Isaiah is doing is he's not just offering or saying that God is going to bring peace between just people. He paints this picture of a world so at peace that the very conflicts in nature are fundamentally changed. Like this is the peace that God is going to bring to the world. But how can this be? Well, Isaiah and other prophets would go on to prophesy about a Messiah in Greek, Christ, that would come and not only reconcile men and women to God, but restore the harmony of the garden where nature itself would be woven back together and liberated from its bondage of decay. Like the, the, the effects of sin would be reversed. God's plan would be restored. Humanity would be redeemed. We would be reconciled to God and to one another. Right? In more practical terms, what Isaiah was saying that God was going to do through his son, the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Christ, in practical terms, he was saying that God wants to restore relationships He wants the end of of, of the effects of sin and the power of sin and its brokenness. He wants healed bodies and a renewed earth and a life without end. This is the type of peace that, that Isaiah was saying was coming with the ushering in of the Christ. And throughout the Old Testament, there are whispers of of the one, a suffering servant, the Messiah, the Christ, who would crush the head of the serpent that deceived Eve and Adam in the garden. Isaiah describes the Messiah in Isaiah 53 like this. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, speaking of Jesus. 800 years prior to his birth, he says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Yet he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, or for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds 
we are healed. What Isaiah is doing here in Isaiah 53, 800 years prior, is he's prophesying what Jesus would do upon the cross. He would take our sin. He would be pierced. He would be, he would be killed upon a cross for us so that we once again could be at peace with our God. See, God's plan was to send his son to do this for all of humanity and bring peace to all of creation once again. But as the story goes on, as the Old Testament unfolds after Isaiah, after, after the last prophets of the Old Testament died, there was no more messages from God for about 400 years. God was silent. There's all this prophecy about God coming. It was 400 years of silence until one year, a priest named Zechariah was serving in the temple. And when he went in to offer the sacrifice as usual, he saw an angel of the Lord. And that angel of the Lord told him that he would have a son who would be full of the Holy Spirit, who would prepare the people of Israel in the spirit and power of Elijah for the Lord's arrival, Luke 1.17. Again, this was a direct reference to Malachi 4.5, which promised that Elijah would precede the day of the Lord. All that said, the years of silence were over. And a few months later, what Luke would tell us is that the angel Gabriel would appear to Mary to tell her that she had found favor with God and would give birth to a son who would be the promised Christ, the promised Messiah to bring peace to the earth. Luke 1, 30 through 33, we see uh, the angel telling this to Mary. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. But for a moment, notice how Gabriel's words here in Luke 1 echo what Isaiah said 800 years late, uh, before in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Isaiah said, there's coming a day for, for to us a child is born. For to us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah prophesied. Gabriel told Mary, it's happening. And the kingdom of peace that God intended comes through a child. And this child, the Christ, is the prince of peace. 
And this child that was born in the manger that Isaiah prophesied over, that was born of the Virgin Mary, this child would go on to die in our place, would take upon himself our sin, to die a death that we should have died. But why? All for the sake to make us at peace with our God once again in relationship. And also to usher peace to the whole earth once again. And all of this is offered to all of humanity. Do you see? This is why we can have peace this Christmas season. This is why. But even more than just making peace between us and God, through Christ, he desires to bring peace to the whole earth. Peace in relationships. Peace where there is strife. Peace where there is division. But how do we see this peace on earth come about as God intended it? How does this come about? Church, hear this. It's through us, God's people, God's church. Those of us that we ourselves have made, have made peace with God through Jesus Christ. It's by our, uh, our participation and our involvement that God uses us to see his peace come about. One author said it this way. The church has an important role to play here. Speaking of peace and the peace of God covering the earth. The church has an important role to play here. As people who have believed in Jesus... Together, we become the metaphorical body of Christ, the family and household of God, a colony of heaven on earth where God is present by his Holy Spirit and the future breaks into the present in the form of healing and restoration. This is what the peace of God on earth looks like and comes about. You see, Jesus, he promised his disciples a peace unlike the world's peace. He said this in John chapter 14. He said, peace I leave with you and my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, Christ not only reconciled us to God through his death upon the cross, but he has also made us bearers of that peace to others. We are now peacemakers to the world. Pretty incredible. See, in Christ, those of us that have made peace with God through Christ, we have received a whole new life. We become children of God and citizens of heaven. And Jesus went away promising that he was preparing a place for us. And he promised to return, bringing with him the, fi the, the final victory and a new peaceful earth. And as Christians, 
We are not just individuals who, who share those same ideas, but we are a new people. Like we are a new heavenly people living out a true story under a different authority than the world around us. Like we're in this world, but not of it. Like we're new creations. We're set apart. Like we live by different standards under different authority because we live under God's rule and God's reign and in God's peace. And at Christmas, we long for Jesus' return and the renewal that will come with him, especially in this time. God, I can't wait for you to come back and make all of this just go away, go away and be made right again. And at Christmas, we long for the goodness and the glory of God to reign right here in Hawaii as it is in heaven. It reminds us of what's to come, what already is, what's happening, and what's to come. God, I want your peace in Hawaii as it is in heaven. And just like Jesus, right, peace has already come. He's, Jesus has already come, but yet it's still coming. It's both now and not yet. Like we live in the midst of that tension, that, that peace has broken into the world, that, that God through his son offers peace and reconciliation, but we haven't yet seen the full consummation of peace in the world yet. And during Advent, we, we tell this story standing in the middle of this tension. That God has come and he's brought peace but we're not fully there yet. And so we live in this tension here and now. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, in that tension, knowing that Jesus has come and he's coming back and we're right in the middle, we're in the middle of brokenness and we're in the middleness of, middle of peace coming in. Sometimes we see it more than others. How ought we stand in the middle to see God's peace come about? And the answer to that, I believe, is the best way the church, the best way for us, the church, can offer peace to the world is to be the church, to be a visible, alternative society that puts the peace of God on display before the world and invites them into it. That we actually, a people, a community, a ohana, that we together show the world the peace of God and invite them into this. My exhortation this Advent season is for us to be reminded of the peace that we have in Christ and that also is offered to the whole world. Church, my exhortation to us is let us be a church that is actively showing the peace of God to our families and friends and co-workers and community around us in word and in deed. Church, let's be encouraged to remember that Christmas 
is the good news that peace is already here and it's how the story ends. And as we worship now, let's join with the angels that at the birth of Christ proclaimed glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. God, thank you for this wonderful reminder that you brought peace. You're bringing peace, and the story ends with peace. As much as that is hard to grasp, and when we see the world around us, it doesn't look like us, thank you that you're in control, that you are sovereign, that you are King Jesus, and you are the Prince of Peace. I pray that we as a people, as, as we go through this Advent season, would be reminded of the peace we have in you and we would be peacemakers. We would be bearers of peace, your peace to the world around us, and we would invite others in. God, would you be exalted in this time of worship? You are worthy and deserving of it. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.